This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and thanks for joining me on today's episode, number 41, which I can't believe, of Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in private practice for over 20 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And about 10 months ago, 11 months ago, by the time you're listening to this, I began podcasting. I absolutely love it. I think podcasts are a perfect medium for people who might want to peek into the world of therapy a little bit, or maybe you've been in counseling and you're just curious about what another therapist might have to say or to think about things from a different perspective. I'm just glad you're here. I started self-work in order to extend the walls of my practice and to offer people some ideas about what I've learned from all of my patients over the years about how to handle the different struggles in their lives, what I like to call what you can do about it. It's not always simple, it's not always easy, but at least we can learn from one another. Today we're going to be talking about what I'm calling long-distance love, which is exactly what it sounds like. When you love someone dearly, deeply, that is a long way away. How do we handle that? I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own story with all of that. Then I've come up with eight techniques or concepts to make it work through the years. And those will go into in a bit of depth. And then lastly, we have an email from a listener about what to do or what could be underneath lying about yourself. I remember as a young girl, I was about 12, my grandmother had taken me to see Gone with the Wind in the big theater in Memphis, and we got on a plane to go home, and we were separated because we were late, so I sat by this gentleman who was very friendly, and I was, of course, extremely talkative, as you can well imagine, (laughs) and I began lying about where we'd been. I said I had been to St. Louis, and I had actually been to St. Louis as a child, so I knew a little bit about it. And I just talked on and on and on. And then I said, and why are you going to Pine Bluff, which was my hometown? We had an airport at the time. And he said, well, I'm visiting Margaret and Walker Lewis. And all of a sudden, my heart stopped. That was my aunt and uncle. And my grandmother lived with them. (laughs) I've never talked faster in my life. And I can't remember a time when I've lied again. At least that blatantly. Maybe little white lies here and there. (laughs) But I learned my lesson. Anyway, we're going to be talking about a little more serious problem with lying than my prepubescent attempt at glorifying my life. So come join me. I said in the intro I was going to talk a little bit about my own life. I have not lived at home for any period of time since I was 17 years old. I grew up in southern Arkansas, and there was nothing wrong with my hometown. I was simply drawn to a larger city and studies that took me out of my hometown. So we had to do the long-distance love thing, both my parents, my siblings, and myself. And there were many, many special occasions that they celebrated without me. I couldn't get home, and they weren't able to come to things that meant a lot to me. It was just part and parcel of living apart. It comes with distance. Everybody's living busy lives and hundreds of miles apart. And these days, our son is living 
let's see, I looked it up on Google, 1,543.1 miles away from us, sort of following the same path as I did. He's in L.A. and only talks about coming home for holidays. He wants to travel. He's young, see the world when he's not working. And I can't seduce him with homemade meatballs anymore. (laughs) They just don't work. So I'm pulling out similar skills that I've used all my life to handle this situation. I don't want the potential emptiness of long-distance loving to sour my relationship with my son. In fact, that would be terrible. So what are these skills? How do you manage happy, warm, loving relationships with people you don't see very often? And of course, I'll be talking about family relationships, but we'll also be talking about when you're dating someone or you're partnered with someone who's having to live far away. So many of these I've learned the hard way, and I want to pass them on to you. I've also learned these from patients I've dealt with because so many of them are in these kinds of situations. It's very common in our world now to have a lot of distance between us. So number one, let the time you have together be whatever it shapes up to be. What do I mean by this? Don't try to force things too much. We've got to have the perfect weekend because it's been so long since we've seen each other. No, you don't. Or the infamous, I have to cook all his favorite things. If you're now adult child or parent or if your loved one is enjoying a visit home, try not to cram too much in or have too many people drop by. You need to prioritize what's most important, but be flexible about the rest so that you can really enjoy the time. You want to do that because you don't want to look back at their visit and think, All I did was work while they were here. I didn't really get a good visit. You don't want that. And then if you're visiting their world, you've got to realize that their life continues around them. This is true of either generation, whether you're parents or children, adult children. They may have to run errands, work, or do normal stuff while you're there. It doesn't have to be Disneyland. You'll remember the laughter and the errands. In fact... When you do more normal things and maybe not a big event or something spectacular, you may have a better concept of what their life is like and be able to visualize it when you're back home. And that can be very comforting. I remember making a trip to one of my high school friend's homes. She for years had lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I had never been to her home. When we saw each other, it was usually when we were both in our hometown. I'm so glad I did, because now when we talk, which is on a fairly regular basis, I get to think about where she is, her office, her home. I met some of her friends. It just really is a wonderful, warm feeling. And actually, she returned the favor a couple of years later. It was great. So, the second skill is to realize that many celebrations can happen any day. I've seen some families go through almost Cirque du Soleil-like twists and turns to try to accommodate one another's schedule. Certainly, once in a while, it's truly important to get there on the day that something happens. If you're receiving some award or becoming an Eagle Scout or graduating from college or playing an incredible violin solo in the orchestra, that's only going to happen once and once only. But some families make every event important, and they tell themselves there's nothing that can be missed. When there are many miles between you, it's much easier to realize 
that holidays, birthdays, special days can be celebrated on the day you can be together. It's the togetherness that matters. Okay, third skill is a little more difficult. Try not to compare yourself with other people. You know, we don't watch TV shows where the characters text each other back and forth. That would really be boring. What we're entertained by is family members, shows like Modern Family or the Housewives of Some City Show. I don't know if y'all watch those. But they're bickering and laughing with each other, probably cussing each other in the second one. And what's hard is that when your life doesn't mimic that, you know, maybe your best friend has her daughter living two blocks down and even picks up her grandkids from school while your daughter is in some state far away expecting her first child and you fear you can't even get there. And so you can begin to feel resentment and bitterness that other people have experiences in their relationships that you can't have on a regular basis. You can have them, but not on a regular basis. The distance between you and your loved one might be a choice, but it may not be. But it's a fact. So if you deal with it and avoid bitterness, then when you're there, you won't be thinking about what doesn't happen. You'll be enjoying what is happening. Now, this is a little tricky. Here's where jealousy can also take hold. Maybe you have an aunt and an uncle that live closer to your child and often have him over. If you have an adult child that's married, perhaps in-laws will get to be with a couple far more than you. If your partner is living away or your spouse is living away, you can hear about them going to parties and having fun when you're there working with kids and taking care of the kids. You can be jealous of the activity that they're enjoying that you're not. And this kind of jealousy can seep into your comments and poison your relationship. If you find that you're obsessing about somehow losing your place with your family or your loved one, you have to work on your own sense of worth and security. If you fantasize or imagine that they're having a grand old time and you're not, then you need to talk to them about it and say, you know, there's a lot of disparity between your world and mine. We just need to talk it out. The fourth skill is to use technology to your advantage. The marvelous thing about technology today is the incredible variety of communication you can have with someone, from a text to a Snapchat to a letter. Remember letters? (laughs) Or my husband and I actually used to send each other telegrams when we were dating because he was in Pennsylvania and I was in Texas. We thought that was pretty cute. I'm not sure you can even send a telegram now. But it's all of those things say that you're thinking of one another, and the distance really means nothing to you. You can video a hello, a sunset, or spring flowers coming up in the garden. Just get creative. If you don't know how or if you're nervous about gadgets, just ask someone to teach you. Your children are tech savvy, and you'll fit into their world much more readily if you join in the fun. Certainly if you want, do it the old-fashioned way. Write a letter, like I said. That letter may be a keepsake and be a wonderful gift to give to your loved one. Recognize the difference on low-maintenance and high-maintenance folks. Now, in my opinion, neither high-maintenance or low-maintenance is superior to the other. High-maintenance people simply like a lot of connection. They want to share their info on a pretty regular basis with friends and develop those friendships. Lower-maintenance people, uh, it could be weeks or even months before they pick up the phone or text, and they basically pick up 
right where they left off with their friends. So you've got to determine who's low maintenance and who's high maintenance and work on adjusting your relationship in order to fit both of your needs. I have a really good friend. She and I have maintained our friendship since I left Dallas 24 years ago. It's true that sometimes she'll tell me something or think I know something and I don't or we'll forget something that the other one explained. You can't take that personally. You just have to realize that without the context of being physically together, sometimes it's harder to hold on to information. But we're pretty low maintenance at times, and then other times we're both higher maintenance. So it's kind of a mixture. Realizing that not having that physically present relationship can sometimes alter what we remember or how we remember, just don't make that an indicator of the value of the relationship if they forget or you forget. The sixth skill is to have proactive coping within the family when a family member becomes ill. What will be your role? How do you talk to your family when you're away from them about your role when something changes that is negative or painful? This time can be very difficult within a family if a parent develops a chronic illness or dementia. The sibling that's closer or even in the same town can get the brunt of the work or the need for support. So working these things out and talking openly about the differences can be vital for the entire family's health. Giving the primary caregiver vacations if you're the one that's long distance or pitching in in other ways to help out if you can't be physically present. Show your gratitude because this is a very difficult situation and one in which often brings a lot of sibling conflict. The seventh skill is to develop rituals for connection. Especially if you're dating long distance, you have to travel for work or you actually are away for long periods of time, or your partner is, you may want to establish rituals that help trust remain stable and even grow. Talking at the same time of the day or texting at bedtime, anything that's something you can count on, that you know your partner is thinking about you, and so that you can better tolerate there being long periods of time when you go without seeing one another hearing about days that are full and busy, and you're not part of those days. It hurts sometimes. So if you develop a ritual where you both feel very connected, that can be very helpful. The eighth and final skill is to try to avoid using distance to make avoidance of conflict easier. The whole out of sight, out of mind thing. I had a friend that this happened to. We had a little tiff, but it was serious enough where And we're both psychologists, but we really got in a bad place with one another. And neither one of us reached out for quite a while. And when I finally saw her again and we talked about it, it was, you know, what were we even arguing about? It was silly. Neither of us remembered. But the time apart had done damage. And we've really never been quite the same. Remember, you can learn to live without someone with enough time, and they can learn to live without you. If the relationship is important to you, don't wait. If there's been conflict, try to resolve it as quickly as possible. You know, you're not going to run into them in the grocery store. They're a thousand miles away. But you can reach out with Skype, FaceTime. Do something to reach out. If there's been friction or misunderstanding, don't allow the distance to make up your mind for you, like oh, well, we'll be all right. Because too many times when you don't attend to conflict, it can just lead to detachment or even resentment 
The good news is that if you're proactive, you'll enjoy as much time with your loved ones as possible and really be in the present with them. My biological family and I have done a good job about this, both to their credit and I hope to mine. And as I frequently like to talk about, if you focus on what you have control over, that will empower you. The things you don't have control over, you have to let go. And remember, you'll always be son, daughter, mom, dad, or grandma. There's no amount of distance that can take that away. That's comforting. I found today's email from a listener very, very interesting, and so hopefully you will too. It's about lying. First, I want to tell you how helpful your podcast has been to me during the short time I've been in therapy, specifically the episodes on anger and shame. I find therapy can be quite intense. Being able to listen to and reflect on those episodes at home where I feel calmer has helped me to understand these issues and myself a little better. So I'm really glad about that. Secondly, I would appreciate your input on this big old mess. (laughs) I feel like the most awful person right now. I'm a liar. I'm in my late 30s. I've had mental health problems all of my adult life, and I had an abusive childhood. My mother was physically and emotionally abusive. I lived with a knot of fear in my stomach every day. When people in my life, teachers, and in later years, my friends, would seem to question my sadness, tearfulness, or need to retreat from the world, I would make things up, allude to some awful, tragic event in my past without giving specific details. Several times growing up, I was caught out for my lies and punished. Looking back, it must have been obvious some of these stories were made up. I cringe at the thought of it now. I'm nearing the midway point of some time-limited therapy, following a breakdown I had three years ago. The waiting time for therapy in my country is long, and the funding is poor. This is all I have for now. Yet I've become aware that I've started to lie to my therapist. I don't know if this is because I want to avoid talking about the actual, real difficult stuff in my past and present, or if I simply want care and sympathy from my psychologist. She always remains very neutral and has talked of her awareness that she should not step into that caring role. I'm not real sure I understand that comment, but anyway, that's what this writer says. In one part of my mind, I know that what I went through in my childhood is enough to explain the issues I have now. In another part, I feel the exact opposite, that my inability to cope is a shortcoming I will be judged for. People have been through far worse and come out better able to cope with life. I feel like this need or tendency to lie is an important part of who I am, but I'm terrified to tell my therapist that I've lied to her. I feel so ashamed. Any advice you have about how to approach this would be greatly appreciated. So this is an interesting dilemma of when an old childhood behavior that was somehow helpful to you at the time that served a purpose is still in your life and it feels almost uncontrollable or unmanageable. You don't know why you're doing it. It doesn't seem to fit the situation. I actually have a podcast on this very dynamic. It's O12. The title of it is how to become an emotional grown-up. So if you'd like to listen to that, it talks a lot about when we are still acting like we did as children or we still have the same strategy to handle stress or sadness or just our lives in general, and yet that strategy isn't really working for us as an adult. So you might want to listen to that. 
Here's my answer. I'm so sorry that your mother was cruel to you. As you said, that's a good enough or extremely understandable reason for your struggle. When you get that rough of a start, it's very difficult to build any emotional stability or a sense of self-value. But as I think about you beginning to lie in your childhood, make up traumatic things that you believe would cause people to give you attention or help them understand why you had problems, it doesn't sound as if you're seeing a connection I see. What's that connection? Think about the message your mother gave you. What she was doing to you wasn't abusive. You deserved it, or you were supposed to take it. You were the problem, not her. So an understandable response to that would be to make up other things, worse things in your mind, that would explain why you were the way you were. Listen to yourself. People have been through far worse, is what you said. You discount what actually happened. You were trying to understand how bad you felt. And if your mother was saying, I'm not doing anything to you that would cause you pain, you had to make up other things because you knew that something was wrong. I would encourage you to take some time to have compassion for the little girl you were. She was frightened and very lonely. Your psychologist's neutrality may be triggering that loneliness, that sense of disconnection. So you're lying to try to get more connection. At least that's one theory or one idea. Give yourself the empathy that you would give someone else. I hope that's helpful, and my goodness, you had a breakdown three years ago and are just now getting help. If that's because of the system, that's terrible. I don't know where you're from, but I know that this problem exists in many countries. The reason I know this is because I've gotten several emails about, especially the system in Great Britain, but I know that it can be really tough, even here in the United States, to get help quickly and when you need it. It's probably very much due to, of course, the economy, but the fact that we still don't honor mental illness and mental health work. We need to work on that. So again, I thought this email was very interesting because it highlights this idea that sometimes childhood strategies can pepper their way into our own thinking and our own behavior as adults. And usually it's problematic So you might want to listen again to episode 12 and give it some thought. Thanks so much. There are many ways you can get in touch with me. I've been a regular on social media now for almost five years, which is kind of hard to believe. I started blogging in 2012. And then, as I said before, podcasting, about 11 months ago. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com and I'd love to hear from you. If you don't want me to use your question or your comment on the air, please just let me know and I won't do that. But I'm loving hearing who you are, where you're from. I don't get to know that. Well, I do get to know where you're from, but I don't get to know how old you are, just your basic demographics. So that's very helpful for me to try to decide what to use as subject matter for self-work. I kind of believe that if one of the episodes isn't exactly perfect for you, then maybe the next one will fit your life better because I know that I'm presenting very diverse topics, a lot on depression and perfectly hidden depression, but other topics as well. I hope that's enjoyable. 
I'd also love it if you'd leave me a rating or review. That means so much to me, and I'm so grateful to the people who already have. It just takes a few minutes, and it gives self-work a chance to reach others. And of course, subscribe. That really motivates me. I have a full private practice, and so I do this on the weekends, early in the mornings, whenever I can. So it helps if I see that people are excited about what they're about to hear next week. At least I'm trying to do it weekly. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. I hope you found this helpful. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.